Welcome to Calvary. We are heading into the last week before Christmas. So how are you doing? Finding all sorts of quiet moments in the midst of holy nights? Is your joy to the world full of wonder? How's Christmas going? Are you saturating your soul with the presence of the promises of Jesus? Or is your mind and your time being consumed by one more quest into the wilderness of Amazon for more stuff? How's Advent going? Does it ever seem like Christmas is just a battle? You know, actually, you could make a really good case from Scripture that the very first Christmas was nothing but a battle. In fact, John gives us a glimpse of Christmas through the eyes of heaven. So just kind of close your eyes and imagine this as I read from Revelations chapter 12, starting in verse 1. John writes, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in the pain of labor as she awaited her delivery. Suddenly, I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his seven heads. His tail dragged down a third of the stars which he threw to the earth. He stood before the woman, ready to give birth to her child, ready to devour the baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a boy who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And the child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And then there was war in heaven. Now, you would miss it if you weren't looking for it. John is actually telling the Christmas story. None of the usual elements, no shepherd stables or swaddling cloths, no silent holy night. This is the story behind our story. Backstage, the iceberg beneath the tip, instead of a young woman named Mary from Nazareth, we have this awe-inspiring vision of a pregnant woman clothed with a sun, 12 stars on her head like a diamond tiara, huge with child. This is Mary, but more, it's the church, the mother of Christ, the bride of Christ, all merged into one, pregnant with the Messiah, pregnant with the light of life. But as she groans and pushes in expectancy, a dragon rends the stillness, the gaping jaws of an enormous seven-headed red dragon ready to devour the baby, snuff out the light. This is no sully from Monsters, Inc., warm-hearted under a fearful appearance. The horns and the crowns symbolize great destructive power and authority. John clearly identifies the dragon as the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. And as war breaks out in heaven... Christmas is an epic battle between God and evil, between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord, between darkness and light. And suddenly some of those Christmas stories in the Gospels, they make a little bit more sense, right? Herod was simply a king protecting his kingdom. The Bethlehem babies were casualties of war. The flight into Egypt was a strategic retreat. So even today, don't be surprised when Bad things happen to good people. It's, it's war. When days of darkness descend on your spirit, don't be so discouraged. It's not abnormal. It's part of the battle. When conflict comes, don't be caught off guard. It's the enemy's strategy to divide and conquer. If you struggle, in fact, if you struggle to remember a good Christmas memory, don't forget it's a celebration that our enemy loves to hate. As much as we try to cover it with the wrappings of cuddly wonder, that first Christmas was a military strike. It was a declaration of war against the world's first terrorist. 
Christmas is a battle in the war between darkness and light. And maybe that's one of, one of my favorite Christmas stories is the Night of Candles. It took place in Timisoara, Romania. Charles Colson shared the story. That was the first time place, and I, I read it in, in his book, The Body. Two years earlier, Laszlo Tokes had become the pastor of this small church in Timisoara, Romania. It was under Rome, uh, communist rule. Nicolae Ceausescu seemed to reserve his greatest hatred for Christians. And though the constitution of the, the country actually allowed freedom of religion and in day-to-day reality, the church was persecuted beyond our imagination. Many pastors were seduced by the government to become informers and partners in putting out the light of the church, but, but some would not compromise with darkness. Laszlo Tokes would not. When he came to the church, it had dwindled to just a handful of people. The previous pastor, a a government collaborator, had taken away the Bible and stopped all meaningful good deeds, no ministry to the community. Church was little more than a Sunday morning gathering, a religious ritual. But Laszlo's heart was on fire for his community and his church was on fire for Jesus. He, he mourned for hearts that had grown cold. He believed that the church built by Jesus could reignite those hearts. He had a vision of what could happen if people stopped seeing church as a place and started seeing church as a community of God's people battling the darkness. You might say he was building a church without walls, ready to be let loose in the world. On the first Sunday, he announced to the people, today we start a new chapter. To do that, we need everyone's help. I am not the only pastor here, he said. We must all be pastors. And for the next two years, Laszlo led the church to a lifestyle of, of good deeds and good news, loving God and loving their neighbors. Within two years in this closed communist country, his, his church grew to over 5,000 people. Many of them were, were students from the local university. His success was not celebrated by the government. They, they stationed officers with machine guns around his church on Sundays. They hired men to attack him and took away his ration books so, ration books so that he, he couldn't buy food. In December of 1989, soldiers came to arrest him. But when they arrived, they were stopped by a wall of people blocking the entrance to the church. They, they tried to disperse the crowd, but the people stood firm all day and, and into the night. Now, in the crowd was 19-year-old Daniel Gavra with a supply of candles. <laughs> and shortly after midnight, that first night, he lit one and handed it to the person next to him. Just visualize that. Then he lit another and another and another, and soon people were lighting other people's candles, and soon the darkness of that fearful night was shattered by the light of hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of candles. Now that story is just one in a long line of nevertheless stories. The world is dark, nevertheless, the darkness cannot overcome the light. That would have been the prophet Isaiah's Christmas tagline, right? nevertheless has come. This is what Isaiah the prophet saw. He saw a world that was filled with darkness, but a world where darkness will not go on forever. From centuries away, God gave him a vision of Christmas, and he described it in Isaiah 9. Listen to his words starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. 
The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. (laughs) The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. God, you will enlarge the nation of Israel. Its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Now, what did Isaiah see as he gazed into the future upon that first Christmas? He saw darkness and despair. People living in a land of deep darkness. Later, he would use the language of battle. That that very first Christmas came in a time of extreme poverty and violence. The light of the world was born into a dark and getting darker world. Mary and Joseph, those shepherds, if, if you were one of them, you were living in a country ruled by a brutal king who taxes you to find, to fund immense building projects and sends the rest of the money to Rome so they can crucify everyone who rises against them. Jesus' birth came during the time of Caesar Augustus. He had a dream inspired by Alexander the Great that if you want peace on earth, you need one culture ruled by one government led by one ruler. And Augustus' dream was reaching its heights at the time of Christ. In those days, they called this dream the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But their peace was filled with terror. The Roman army went into countries and basically said, here's our peace, submit or die. A dozen years before Christ was born, the Roman general Germanicus quelled revolts north of Rome. It's written of him that he slaughtered the whole population across the Rhine, 50 miles of pure destruction. Six years after Jesus' death, Lucius Verus was putting down a revolt in Sepphoris, a small town near Nazareth. And and to discourage sympathizers, Lucius had 2,000 men, women, and children crucified, 2,000. It took them days to die. It was said their screams were heard 30 miles away. These are the events that bookmark the time of Christ. The world was dark, but that's why Jesus came. He came to light up the darkness. That's why Isaiah would look forward to that very first Christmas and utter the word, nevertheless. Darkness and despair is not forever. A great light has come and is still coming, nevertheless, has come. Darkness and despair will not last forever. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. I promise, God says. I promise no matter how deep the despair, how hard the circumstances or how violent the injustice, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, no matter how long you've been stumbling in the darkness, nevertheless, a great light has come and keeps coming. That, that's the message at the heart of John's gospel, right? Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. And the word, here's, here, here it is, the word gave life to everything that was created and in his life, his life brought light. His life brought light to everyone. 
And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness will not win. This light that burst forth that first Christmas night is a light for worldwide darkness. And let's be honest. Man, the, the darkness is still worldwide, right? Pick your darkness. Wars and rumors of wars. Persecution of Christians around the world. Eight 811 million people globally will go to sleep hungry tonight. They aren't on a diet. They just don't have enough food. Count out seven seconds. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, 1,005, 1,006, 1,007. Somewhere around the world, a child under the age of five just died from preventable, treatable, poverty-related causes. Sex trafficking, 25 million people, including 2 million kids, Imagine the Pittsburgh metro area, Allegheny, Armstrong, Beaver, Butler, Fayette, Washington, Westmoreland counties, filled with children who last year were sexually exploited for somebody's gain. 90 million people forced from their homes. 25 million are refugees unable to return to their home. And it's, and, and it's not just out there somewhere. Kids got, get sexually abused in our community. Kids get bullied. People wrestle with hunger and, and homelessness in our community. In central PA, people are overcome with depression and commit suicide. We are not immune to the darkness. But Jesus brought light to the battle against the darkness. And it's not just worldwide darkness. It's darkness in here. Personal darkness. Paul described that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, when he said, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Jesus is a light in worldwide darkness. He is also a light in heart-deep darkness. I don't know. Maybe you have a heart-deep darkness. Sometimes that darkness brings fear, fear of the unknown. Sometimes it brings confusion or uncertainty. Sometimes darkness brings isolation. Have you ever been in a place where it's so dark you, you would not have known if someone was sitting right next to you? I'm telling you, there are people in your circles and in your path, there are people who are looking for life in the darkness, and they're crying out for someone who knows how to bring the light. And maybe you're one of them, or maybe you work or live with one. Maybe maybe it's the clerk at your grocery store, the person you sat beside a few weeks ago at Beaver Stadium, your, your next-door neighbor, the kid you wish your kids wouldn't hang out with, your, your acid-tongued boss, the, the nurse who works at the abortion clinic, the, the homosexual who lost his best friend. Into this world of darkness, Jesus came. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world and if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. There is a light. His name is Jesus, the light of the world. Now, can we just pause here for a moment? Because listen, there's, there's nothing greater than Christ. Christ is the treasure of Christianity. With all my heart, I love Christmas, but only because Christmas reminds me of the glory of Christ. Man, I don't know why you celebrate Christmas, but if it's not because of Christ, you're missing everything. 
I love the songs and the decorations. I love the story. I don't even mind an occasional Hallmark movie. I love the lights and the trees. I'm telling you, Lynn turns our little cabin into a place of wonder and glory every December. But sooner or later, the lights come down and the wrapping paper is tossed and the toys get broken. Don't come to Christmas because of all the wrapping paper and miss the true gift. Come because of Christ. He is the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Savior, head of the body, the King of the kingdom, the Savior of your soul, the beginning of life in everything. He's not just prominent, he's preeminent. He's not just sufficient, he's sovereign. He's not just someone, he is the one. He is the light of the world. And while I love that iconic manger image of little baby Jesus, and it's full-grown Jesus with whom I want to be face-to-face, the one who stilled the storm and fed the crowd and healed the outcast and, and always noticed, always had time for those in the margins of life, the one who could gather her crowd but loved you one-on-one, the one who riled up religious leaders and confused political leaders, scared the hell out of Satan and loved his enemies all the way to the cross and beyond. And he's the one I want to know. It's his eyes I want to look into. It's his hand I want slapping my back in laughter. His steps that I want to follow. Grown-up Jesus. We, we need his light of hope for the darkness of difficulty. Difficulty didn't take a break over the holidays. We need the light of hope. We need the light of generosity for the darkness of selfishness that creeps into our hearts. Christmas scratches the itch of grace deep within us. It gives us a chance to counteract that selfish streak we hate in ourselves. We, we need the light of wonder to cause an amazement in our hearts that, that cannot be produced by the latest TikTok video, Instagram picture, even the next technological I wonder exploding on the scene. We, we need his light. <laughs> But, but here's the most amazing part of the Christmas story of light. He invites us. He invites you. He invites me. He invites us to join him. You know, I had a, a bit of a new thought this last week, a little bit of an aha moment as I was studying Isaiah chapter 9. Here's the thought. When I think of the Christmas vision of Jesus and Isaiah's vision of Jesus, I'm reminded that Jesus is the mighty God, and I am not. Jesus is our Prince of Peace, and you are not. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We are not. Jesus is the Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You mean no word, none of that. But Jesus is the light of the world, and you are. I am. In fact, the light of the world says to us, you are the light of the world. So it just made me want to, I don't know, perhaps we never get closer to Christmas than we, when we live as a light in the darkness, when we light our candles. And the day after Christmas, there will still be darkness and we will still need light. But the story of Christmas was always meant to be continued, not just repeated, continued. Christmas is not just a celebration, it's an ongoing story that we're invited to join. The story isn't over. You have a part in that story. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Do not hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all to see. 
In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, let me just give you some quick context to that challenge, those words of Jesus. That that very first Christmas came and went, born in a small rural town to blue-collar parents. Jesus spent part of his childhood on the run. Some powerful government authorities wanted him dead, and, and about 30 Christmases or so later, he had some powerful spiritual experiences. He received his call from God. He gathered a small group of diverse people and began to preach good news and do good deeds. And, and in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 25, we find that Jesus is beginning to experience an incredible amount of success. He is on fire. He's living large. He's lighting the darkness all around him. And huge crowds of people were following him from a large regional area. He had power over people, over diseases, even over the spirit world. Huge crowds, all sorts of stuff going on, every outward trapping of mega success. And then in the first verse of chapter five, we read and seeing the huge crowds. Let me do a little freelance interpretation. Seeing how his disciples were becoming enamored with the outward trappings of success, the numbers, the crowd, the respect, all the external stuff, Jesus set them down to remind them that the light The light comes from the inside out. He took them up on the mountain to give them a new look, a look that starts in the heart. And so in Matthew 5, 2, we see, blessed are those whose hearts are broken and in humility for for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who can mourn. Blessed are those who are gentle, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful and pure in heart, who make peace, who are willing to be persecuted for doing the right thing. See, Jesus is looking for fire on the inside. He's never all that concerned about stuff or fame, position, or power, but if you're looking for a deeper fire, something that starts with a change in your heart and leads to being a life-giving light in your neighborhood, your school, your dorm, where you work, then Jesus is where it's at. So after reorienting his disciples to the heart, to the light on the inside, Jesus tells them in Matthew 5, and I just I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, Jesus says, now let me tell you why you're here. Let me tell you why you're here this Christmas. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. And by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, our generous Father in heaven. Do you understand? We're here to shine, to be generous with our lives, to do good deeds that shine the light on Jesus. You've heard this phrase before, but you may be the only Jesus that people ever see. So what do they know about Jesus when they look at you? How do we bring light to the darkness? Well, first it happens when we embrace Christ's plan, and Christ's plan is that you are the light of the world. That's his plan for the darkness in the world. You, you're the light of the world. I'm the, we're the light of the world. That's it. No other plan. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit fills us, we'll have the power to become his witnesses. We will shine, and that's the plan, the only plan. No backup plan B. There are people in your neighborhood who are living in darkness. Paul said in Acts 17, 26 through 27, that God has set the times and the boundaries of where we live. Why? In the hope that when people seek God, that when they stumble around seeking God in the darkness, they'll find him. Your light in your neighborhood is God's plan. 
Secondly, it will happen when we value small lights gathered together, like a city on a hill, glowing for all to see. Do you understand? Jesus says you are the light of the world. You're you're not the sun, maybe not even a a flashlight with ever-ready batteries. Maybe you're just a candle, a little birthday candle. But imagine if everyone lit their candle and let let it shine. Maybe, Maybe you can't volunteer 20 hours a week. Maybe you don't know what to say to someone who's dying in the hospital, and you just don't see how the little, whatever the little is that you're gonna do is gonna make a difference. But you're not alone. There are candles all around you, and all Jesus asks you to do is Just do something. One good deed will fan the flame because we bring light to the darkness. When we let good shine, let your good deed shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Like the crowd outside a church in Romania. Hundreds of candles handed out, lit by 19-year-old Daniel Gavra. At 1 a.m., Pastor Tokes looked out his window to see the church lit up by the light of a sea of candles, hands cupped close to people's hearts, guarding the flames, faces lit by the light. I don't know where I'll be tomorrow or the next day, Tokes thought. I know only this moment. And I know the Spirit of God himself is with us. Two days later, the soldiers finally broke through the crowd and took Laszlo Tokes to jail. But but that united congregations all over the city. People took their protests to the public square and soon thousands upon thousands, not just hundreds of people, gathered together. And once again, Daniel Garva was there to hand out his candles. The troops were sent in. Hundreds and hundreds were shot. Daniel Garva lost his leg. (laughs) But that protest led to the whole country revolting against communist rule. And that year, for the very first time in 50 years, Romania celebrated Christmas in freedom. When Laszlo visited Daniel in the hospital, he found that Daniel was not grieving the loss of his leg. Rather, he said softly, Oh, Pastor, I I don't mind so much the loss of a leg. (laughs) After all, it was I who lit the first candle. Take the candle that you have, that you're given, that you got. Take it out and and just look at it. You know, a candle can bring to mind many things, birthdays, romance, a night at home when when the power went out. For for the next week, every time you look at your candle, I, I want you to hear Jesus say six words. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What if in your neighbor's life, in the life of a friend, a classmate, or a coworker, in the life of someone in your family, God might let you be the one to light the first candle that brings light into their life. Every time you see your candle this week, say to yourself, say it now, I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Be different. In the darkness of a cancel culture, be the light of grace. In the darkness of sexual confusion and and identity uncertainty, be the light of love. In the darkness of division and bitterness and offense, be the light of reconciliation and forgiveness. In the darkness of self-centered consumerism, be the light of generosity. In the darkness of isolation and despair, bring the light of hope, the light of kindness. Just ask yourself, If my whole life was summed up in the space of next week, how will I be remembered? 
And imagine people in your neighborhood talking behind your back about how grateful they are that your family lives here because it seems like every time you come out of your house, something good happens in the neighborhood. Imagine regional leaders in all sectors of our community being genuinely thankful that Calvary is a part of the community because of the good we do. Imagine the leaders of community service organizations getting together and realizing that everywhere they look, they keep running into Christians actively engaged in loving and serving their community. Imagine people, your neighbors, coworkers, classmates, family and friends, a person in front of you at Giant, sitting beside you at the football game, people all over the region some of them in the past perhaps skeptical, maybe even hostile towards the church, hurt by the church. Imagine all of them actually praising God because of the good deeds done in the name of Jesus. It's not just a dream. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. So you have seven days <laughs> or so, depending on when you listen to this. If your life was summed up in the next seven days, these days before Christmas, what would people say about you? What if you were light? In these coming days, what will you do to be light? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that by your Spirit you'd give us opportunities in the days to come to be the light of Christmas, to be the light of the world, to be kind to those who just need an act of encouragement, of kindness that encourages them to to be generous to somebody, unexpectedly generous to somebody we don't even know, but, but you know they need that act of grace of generosity, to be more concerned about being reconciled than we are concerned about being right, to be light, a light that shines from the inside out. God, I pray that you would give us opportunities in the days to come to be light. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are our light, that you are the light of the world. That sometimes in our hardest times, that that when we're broken, (laughs) that's sometimes when the light shines through us the very best. And so we give you those moments. We give you the days to come. We ask that you would help us to be a light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.